In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Sunday. It's the return of the Psychedelic Roundtable. I hope everybody out there has had an amazing week, and they are beginning this week by, you know, preparing a pathway for inner peace. And the best way I know to do that is to talk to two, these two gentlemen, Mr. Jason Sheffield and Mr. Paula Powell. Gentlemen, would you be so kind as to introduce yourself, starting with you, Jason, for those people who may not know exactly who you are. Yeah, my name's Jason. I'm out here in Colorado. I work as a coach um, and have a podcast with my partner and love talking about this stuff. Love talking about the journey of psychedelics. It's beautiful medicine. Nice. It is beautiful medicine. You've got um, you've got a whole other project going on too. You want to maybe elaborate a little bit on that so people understand what that is? Yeah, just basically stepping into doing men's coaching and working with men and being able to help, you know, facilitate the, the journey into the inner masculine and doing some of that work that many of us men, I think, need to do. So, yeah, working with clients, taking clients right now um, and excited to see what this year is going to bring. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Paul, what do you got going on, buddy? What do you want to tell the people before we get started? Um. You know, I mean, not a whole heck of a lot. Just happy new year to everybody. Um, you know, trying to uh, trying to participate more, you know, in uh, each other's lives and be a positive force. And um, yeah, let's let's kick this thing off right. Here, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've uh, already hit up the first psychedelic experience of the year. And it got me thinking about different patterns. You know, I've been thinking uh, quite a bit about patterns in life lately. And, and the patterns I see happening in society are similar to the patterns that a lot of people see in their lives. And I want to share a little bit with you guys about, I want to read this quick passage that you guys can see here. And uh, I'll, read, I'll just read it out. And then I, I kind of want to stop and get your thoughts as we go. So let me begin here. 
<clears throat> the society which rests on modern industry is not accidentally or superficially spectacular. It is fundamentally spectacular. Spectacle, which is the image of the ruling economy. The goal is nothing, development everything. The spectacle aims at nothing other than itself. As the indispensable decoration of the objects produced today, the general expose of the rationality of the system as the advanced economic sector, which directly shapes a growing multitude of image objects. The spectacle is the main production of present day society. And so I guess I'll pause there for just a minute. And, you know, it, it seems to me when I read that, what I start thinking about is the economy isn't really there to serve any one of us even though they talk about a service driven economy the economy is there just to serve itself what, what do you guys think about the world we live in as not really a way to make anyone's life better but just to serve it's like a self-eating machine is that too crazy no it's not because it's a reflection of corporations right which are self-serving yeah you hear me? Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it yeah. seems like it's a it's a new a new way of understanding the master slave dynamic. That at the end of the nice. day, the master is going to do whatever spectacle kind of thing as long as it's getting what it needs from its slaves. And I think we have we've had a, maybe a, a certain painted picture of what slavery looks like, and don't realize that when we just buy into the spectacle. We're slaves to the spectacle, and there's a power structure there that the master either wants our energy, our money, our like how we play. Like the system needs us as slaves to support its continuation. Yeah, that's beautifully put. It and here's like the next section that I think that we can dive deeper on, and it goes in, into exactly what you're saying. The spectacle subjugates living men to itself to the extent that the economy has totally subjugated them. It is no more than the economy developing for itself. It is the true reflection of the production of things and the false objectifications of the producers. The first phase of the domination of the economy over social life brought into the definition of all humanization. The obvious – here's, here's the three key points. Here, the obvious degradation of being – into having the present phase of total occupation of social life by the accumulated results of the economy leads to a generalized sliding of having into appearing from which all actual having must draw its immediate prestige and its ultimate function. At the same time, all individual reality has become social reality directly dependent on social power and shaped by it. It is allowed to appear only to the extent that it is not. So being into having, having into appearing, and then allowed to appear only to the extent that it is not. I want to give an example of that. So if you remember when we were growing up, you would buy a house. You, you would buy a house, right? And then, or you would buy a car. And then all of a sudden, this idea of leasing started coming into play. So you used to own something. And then you began renting something. And it was like, you could, you could lease a really nice car by a medium-grade car. 
you know, almost for the same monthly price. The trick on leasing is like you never pay it off. So you would, people would ha have a medium range car if they bought it, but they would have like a Porsche or something if they leased it. They would have the illusion being into having. And then from there, we've moved on into, you know, having into appearing. So it appears that you have these riches. And then it, it says, if you, if you just play this out further, the next move is it appears only to the extent that it is a not pretty soon. It appears people have money, but they don't have anything. You have this appearance. And it seems to me that's where we're going with this idea of you'll own nothing and be happy. You know, this idea of the W E F and this idea of, you know, we all pretend like we have so much, but every, a lot of people are hurting. What do you guys think about those two things being into having, having into appearing and then allowed to appear? I think you describe social media. <laughs> like Agreed. it's beings, right? We're he all human beings and we go on and, and really what do you post? You post something that you have, right? Yeah. You, you, whether it's a, a having of an experience or having of a meal, or it's always kind of about this idea of having something. Cause if you don't have something to share, why post at all? So you got to have yeah. something, right? So an idea. So having goes, beyond just our physical world, it goes into like how we can share our thoughts or ideas, like having these things, because those things then lead to that greater sense of appearing. So, oh, I have a thought, I'm a being, I have a thought, I share it, then I'm, I'm appearing to show up in a specific way. I'm appearing as a brand, however you want to look right. at it, right? So now the appearing is the branding of all things. Like, we have to be real. Like when we live in this reality, you live out of your brand, how you appear to people, what you're willing to say, what you're willing, what you don't say. So our whole world is very much driven by brand, which is all about how you appear. And then to the extent that, you know, it's not even anything that's like, what is your, you're nothing. They can take it away in an instant. They can say, you can't say that thing. And now everything that you appeared in is now nothing. So you built a complete, you know, understanding of yourself in this, this, uh, this space that doesn't even exist. That's how I interpret yeah, it's, it. It's another way of thinking about yeah. like the least an idea, but like that's social media. That's what's happening right now with TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. It's built on this. What do you think happens when the individual becomes a brand? Does that strip away humanity a little bit? It strips away. It, it, it's got to do a number on relationships, right? People relate to each other different than brands relate to each other. Well, I think I think there's an evolution here that we need to play out with the idea of brand. And I think it's okay. also how brand has shifted from our marketing concept of a brand, especially like branding of like, when we think brand, you go back to like the 60s and how they branded they, you know, they branded the the bulk, right? They branded Heinz. They branded everybody does this one style of ketchup and everybody does this. You know, that's branding. It was buying up the shelving units. And if you could own the shelving units, you could basically own the people. Well, mm. things evolved, right? And all of a sudden, we all have a voice and an ability to share experiences and whatnot. And basically, our brand is our story. It's really the shift of understanding that brand is now story. And as all human beings, we own a story. And so we can play in this world and be like, yeah, I know my brand. I know how I show up. I know what I'm going to say. I also know what I'm not going to say. And I know that that creates a brand in your mind, George. You never met me. You've only seen the branding that is Jason that shows up, right? And we all yeah. do it. Whether we subconsciously or consciously are, we have a brand. 
and I think part of it is realizing, you know, the way you break out of this is owning it, <laughs> taking it back, being like, no, who am I? Not what are these things influencing me into being? Yeah, that's, I think there's a lot of good points in there. What's your take on an individual being a brand, Paul? I think you might have, there he is. Yeah, just got back. Yeah, what what's your take, Paul, on, on being a brand? Yeah, I just caught the tail end of what Jason said, and I, I would agree. You know, um, our brand is our story, unless you know, except for every to everybody, except for those who actually know us, you know, and are and have personal relationships with us. And so, you know, we can make the illusion of ourselves is what you know is what. You see on a podcast or on social media or whatever, we, we can make that whatever we want it to be. Um, but you know, I think I think owning your brand, right, is and that's I think that's where the battle is, is is your imagery, you know, like the NCAA or you know, Hollywood or or whatever, like the stuff that Kanye was talking about, right? Mm -hmm. It's like being able to control that and control your brand and to be able to profit from it. Um, you know, before, you know, other people, because, you know, we're all not the same. And so some, you know, my branding may be, you know, maybe appealing to some, um, that may not like your branding, George. And so, you know, as individuals, you could see that there's, there's already this thing happening where, where corporations, you know, and marketing have selected people based on algorithms or who they think that, you know, mm -hmm. mo they most appeal to and that are using those people to promote. And so, you know, those people are beginning to get gobbled up by large corporations where they're going to start losing and already have lost control of their image, you know, and of their brand. So, you know, this idea of, of being able to, you know, control your own imagery, to control your old brand, and to be able to change your image, you know, from what it is now to what it will be in the future, you know, without pushback from corporations. If you are an influencer, if you are, you know, sponsor, then I, you know, I think that's, that's going to be like where, you know, where the lines are already beginning to be drawn. But I think, I think an interesting thing about changing image is also when we start thinking about this idea of branding and we apply it to maybe more of a virtual environment, which are is the direction you know they're really trying to push heavy on us, is that when you're in that environment, you can be whatever you want to be. So there's almost in this way that they're trying to drive acceptance on this physical plane. They're teeing it up to where when we move into avatar world, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be an animal. You can be whatever. You can like, and you can change it a million, like almost to the point where you don't have to be anything again, right? So you're going to move through this process of ultimately like your identity will be non-existent because you're just a piece of this machine having an experience in a virtual reality, not actually being anything real to the point where we have to realize I can't change this brand. Ultimately, like from a higher level, I am me. There is no changing of this. And the moment I realize that I can like, and then I can grow from that, but that's part of the brand that I feel like we have to lean into is our awakening to our true selves, our true, our truth within. When we wake into that brand, that becomes powerful for people. But 
that's also the reality that I am who I am. There's no changing this. Do you think that that, it seems to me that one way to say what you said a different way is to embrace your own authenticity. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult because, you know, for so long people have been programmed by exterior inputs or exterior, you know, um, you know, stimulus and response for, you know, if you look at the school system, you could argue that it's a stimulus response system that outputs stamped objects and kids come out and they have these preset designs. School, the education yeah. system, right? The, again, here, yeah. you're going to have an education. You're going to appear to be smart. You're going to appear to have knowledge to the extent that you don't know fuck because you only understand this one cell of the body and you never took the time to understand how that cell works with the rest of the system. They've specialized this to such an extent that you end up not really holding much wisdom because you've gotten so deeply specific because you've got three PhDs on this one fucking thing. That's what this, that's the slicing down of science, right? Going so yeah. deep, you lose the reality of you live in a whole body. You live in a whole ecosystem that we have to learn how to honor. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted George. Like, yes, yeah, so this system education is one of them. Oh, what were you going to continue to say? No, it, well, I, I'll just continue pulling on that thread. It, it does seem that specialization has gotten to a point where the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. You know, the, the, especially when you look at medicine, like it's so detailed. You need a specialist to go to your back. But if you want to work on your lower back, oh, what vertebrae are you working on? Because you need a specialist for that vertebrae. And, you know, I, I guess you could say that what, what's happening in the world right now is almost a blindness because we've gotten so specialized. And they almost speak different languages. You know, you have we, – we elect people to Congress, but Lord knows what they do in there. And then in Congress has their own committees. And then those committees have leaders, and then those leaders are dealing internationally. So by the time, you know, the the whole or the body, be it the body of the country or be it a, a someone with their body going to a doctor, by the time the information gets back to them, it's so diluted and and so crazy. Nothing makes sense, man. I it seems it seems like that. But I, if if we take that back to the idea of the individual being a brand, I think that it's imperative that people embrace their authenticity. And when you do that, I think you begin seeing the bigger picture. I think you begin seeing yourself in other people because yeah. you notice what's, what is special about you is the fact that you're a human. And so is that other person. And that's why you recognize things in other people, but it's, it's weird. It seems to me like you don't understand that until you begin to understand yourself. And it, it seems like a paradox. Like how is me beginning to focus on myself and understand myself going to make me relate to other people. But it does. Is the greatest wisdom that was ever given to us. Love yourself as you love your neighbors. Like that is the path. That is the medicine. That is, you know, I've been reading this book called the, the medicine of the shamans mm -hmm. by uh, Ruiz. And he's talking about this idea that at the end of the day, the path of the shaman and, and really anyone, at least from his, you know, the Toltec tradition from Mexico when they use the term shaman, they say that anybody that is on their path to personal freedom is a shaman, that we all hold this. There's nothing special about the shaman, but that the shaman is woken up to their own personal freedom. And that when we lean into our personal freedom, what we do is we step away and we see the matrix for what it is. We take our power back, right? We break out of the system that we've been talking through and that, you know, there's 
multiple ways of doing that. But again, like psychedelic medicine is a way of, of fighting, of, of waking you up to your own personal freedom. That to me has been something because I too, George, have had a couple of journeys so far this year. And nice. it's been this really beautiful theme, especially as I've also gone into to doing some guiding now that it's decriminalized here in Colorado and feeling like we can really step into that. Man, watching other people tap into that, I'm seeing more and more of these experiences, and it's it's the path. It, you have to wake up not only to your authenticity, but to your yes, your choice. And then we talk, you know, a lot about the duality of this or that. Right. That's what this is talking about. In a spectacle, you have a decision between this or that. Freedom is choice. Freedom is yes or no. And the medicine wakes us up to our yes or no's. And to the extent that we can understand that is the extent that we live as a free being. Sorry, I got a little preachy yeah. there, man, but that's what I've been, that's what I've been learning. That's what I, that's the medicine teaching me. That's awesome. What, what is it like to see other people go through process? Like, you know, all of us are, all of us are, um, you know, experienced in our own journeys but it's a it's a whole nother experience to watch someone else or help someone else go through that journey or integrate it what's that like oh it's the most beautiful gift i could ever receive from a, a human being to to be able to go to the depths of their vulnerabilities the depths of losing their shit, um and and holding space and holding ceremony and inviting them into you know a process kind of of, of some of the my own systems that I've designed. Because again, the thing that I've loved is the shaman does their own path. There is no right, there is no wrong, it's their thing. And, and I've learned some stuff and I've learned my thing. And so when I take my medicine and work with men and I see it work, it just speaks to the truth that I, you know, the simple truths that I've, I've begun to uncover. And you watch somebody literally be reborn, literally a complete awakening to consciousness. Um, and it is a gift to be a, a witness to that. Yeah. It sounds like it's a, it's a special time and it, you know, it, it takes, it takes a lot of preparation and understanding. I think you got to really understand who you are before you can begin to help other people understand who they are. A hundred percent, because what you're doing is ultimately just helping the, you, you don't need them to understand who you are. You need them to right. understand who right. they are. Right. And the, that's where the ego, like so many times, like if you, if you're still trying to figure out who you are, then you're trying to look for your reflection in that person. And that, that has an energy to it. Right. Cause now I'm trying to maybe manipulate. I'm trying to like, how can I see myself in you? And, and that's ultimately what's happening a lot of times when you're working with someone and trying to be that mirror is they're kind of posturing. And what ends up happening in the journey often is, all of a sudden they look at you and make eye contact and they're like, we're the same. I'm you. Yeah. I, I see my, I see the thing that I was going after. I just needed to be able to say that I wanted, I want that. And I, I am that I have that. And that's like, it's the most beautiful awakening uh, that a soul I believe can have. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's almost it's Paul. scary, you know, what's that Paul? Sometimes watching people go that through that process can be uncomfortable. It can be absolutely. I mean, that's that's part of I believe the honor of holding the space is to hold the energy and know how to 
um, gently guide somebody through them fighting their, like losing their shit. Cause it is scary. It can be vulnerable. Um, and so, but, but it doesn't scare me. Like on, I think if the person facilitating is scared, then there's going to be that energy there. That person could then lose the thread a little bit like you're and guiding you are there to be the grounded um the grounded one that can kind of guide them through that process and not let them just kind of fully fully go or you do let them fully go and only the guide you, you only know in the moment what you need to do and so that's what i trust is like yep nope i'm not going to say a word i'm going to let him lose a shit on this for a while and then right. i'm going to let i'm going to ground him and i'm going to offer him something maybe a thought that he hadn't considered because he can't handle anything right now. So just handing a rock to him is gonna blow his mind. So I can ground him with this and right, just these different practices, it's beautiful to be a part of. Yeah, but at the same time, you're like witnessing a death, mm -hmm. you know? And so like- That's not scary. Well, I mean, you don't know what's gonna be reborn. I trust in the right, divine. The body, the body is alive, right? But you're yeah. witnessing like, it's it, it oftentimes, you know, what I've what I've watched people go through this and knowing this person like, you know, um, granted, like I don't do this stuff with strangers. Right. So everybody that I've ever you know, right. been with who's having a first time experience using psychedelics. Like I know this person. I've known this person for a long time. And so to me. Like when I'm watching somebody go through this experience and, you know, thinking to myself, like I'm watching somebody like, you know, basically these people are dying right here. Like they're like who they think they are, their ego, their view of themselves, you know, this this person who they who they project to be is like dying in front of me. And and, you know, and it's almost in some ways it's kind of it's not really sad, but you know, it's it, to watch people become humbled so fast, um, you know, is, is profound. And, and it can be a little bit, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. And, and all you can do is hope that, like, once they get through the experience and they come out the other side, that they didn't lose all of themselves, but they were changed in a way, you know, that will allow them to be, you know, to grow and to be better people. And, and so to me, there's always that, you know, it's kind of, it's a, you know, it's like a seesaw, you know, you're teeter totter, you know, you're kind of watching people and, and kind of figuring out like, you know, what it is they're going to do. What are they thinking? You know, what's happening to their imagery of them, of themselves in their minds, you know? Um, I mean, you know, you got to take it seriously. I, oh, I decided, you know. There's yeah. The, everything that I like, it's a very sacred experience and journey and process. And yeah, it's not like someone I'm just, for me, when I, I work with people, it's not a, it's a process that I take them through. And, and it, you know, there's, there's a lot of knowing and a lot of timing and a lot of just understanding the process um, to be able to guide somebody through that and to trust that whatever will come out on the other side is their true selves, right? That I, that they're going to awaken to that personal freedom and then, you know, they get to, and then we do the integration work, right? So, okay, great. What, what came alive for you? What awoke? And then it's the process of, in this plane, developing the practices to carry that through, carry that transformation, carry that concept, carry that consciousness into this reality. And that's where we have to attach it to meaningful practices. Well, you know, yeah, but it, I mean, it's a, I mean, you're playing a little bit of God there, 
right? 100%. When, when you're when you're offering whatever inputs they are during this journey, you know, this has kind of been my, like kind of part of my issue with coaching, right? It's like, I'll sit there and watch somebody and I'll be available if somebody's like having, you know, struggling with the process, you know, and that I'll be the smiling face that they see, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But never to offer, like, I'm not, you know, trying to figure out in what step of this process they are going through on this journey. And then, and then, you know, and then inputting certain things. I think that's very dangerous, man. Mm -hmm. I think it is a, um, it's a practice of consent. And it's something that I invite everybody into that everything that is offered is offered with consent and a practice of consent. And it's part of the awakening because personal freedom is actually consent. It is saying yes or saying no. And everything that is offered in ceremony is offered from a posture of consent. And it's really important that the person that's guiding understands their medicine. And you're right. There is an element of I am stepping into channeling the divine. Because the like, who else is going to do it? Human beings, we are gods to each other. Like we, we reflect the divine. So yeah, I, I do trust that, but I also trust myself and my own energy and my own cleanness that whatever I'm offering is just truth. And at the end of the day, they will have to find their own truth. I have nothing to offer them at the you know, nothing. And that's that's the point is now I do have things to offer like, you know, hey, hold this rock while you're losing your shit because you kind of need to ground yourself, right? Or, hey, here's here's an image of open hands that's like a, a not some iconography and and maybe let's you know what what does that evoke in you or maybe not I don't I don't know I have no agenda stepping into those experiences with people I simply responding to what comes up and that's the job I believe of a of a guide in that process is to respond and to have enough wisdom to know how to respond but yeah I, you're playing with fire you gotta you gotta be real clean and feel like you really have the confidence to step into that I believe that's really bold you know. Um, I, you know, like I could understand like offering playfulness to offering, you know, let me, you know, maybe a little bit of, you know, let me show you a little bit of magic, but, you know, like for first time experienced people, you know, to me, like the responsible thing in, in, this is just my opinion has always been to just let them go, let them find it. If you want to get together on second, third, fourth experience, and now, Hey, let's, Let's input some things, but let's discuss them first, right? Like, I think there's value to that, but, you know, and still, you know, the value is, it, you know, is, it's very limited, right? And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a personal journey type of guy, right? Like, I'll go with, with people and, hey, we're going we're gonna to try this medicine. We're going to do, or this other medicine, you know, but everybody's got to find their own way. Mm -hmm. And to me, I've always thought like interfering with that process is, um, I mean, it's not only dangerous, it's irresponsible. I believe if you but, were to bring something from, I mean, you're on so many levels, Paul, I absolutely agree with you, right? I mean, this is something that people need to take very seriously. And it is something that I also have, you know, when you look at therapy and you look at the MDMA, like all the stuff that's happening with maps and these different, this different stuff that's coming up, it is a, an extremely, extremely vulnerable. And um, like, it's, it's a dangerous space. And so um, 
I agree with you, but I almost am heretical in saying that because I'm saying, but um, in, in at least for what I know is a, I'm never offering therapy. I'm not a therapist and I'm not someone's therapist. Um, so when, if it's, if it's therapy, we're talking about, like, I'm not stepping into that. So someone's coming to me and they need like actual therapy. That's not, I'm not here for that. So again, it's again, knowing my truth, like what I can do, but and, and it is very specific, but when someone wants to come and, and re re tap into masculinity or re tap into something that has been lost in their lives then I believe there's some medicine that I have to offer. And the experience of the people I've worked with have been the reflection that it works. It's their stories, not mine, that can tell that. So, um, but but that's the, to me, the beauty of like the, the process. For sure. You know, and look, man, I mean, I, I, I don't like the word therapy, but the word coach isn't too far removed from that. Oh, it's an ugly word. It, it is something that I agree with. I don't, I wouldn't prescribe to about probably 95% of what people are doing out there that have this term. The problem is I don't know what to call, you know, being able to help people do spiritual work at the end of the day. Right. I mean, it's definitely not pastor or preacher anywhere. Those words are just as ugly as coach and therapist. You know, there, there needs to be some new terminology or some new words put to, to this work that I think is integral has been part of every culture. There's always been that, that, spiritually in tune one that that come, people come and they get retuned they're tuning and they get they they want that and not everybody they're all going to find that in various ways but um i do believe that there's something beautiful between humans that we can facilitate that tuning for each other right maybe mentor i, I look at it more of like you know like like i'm not offering inputs when people are on this journey but i can be a reflection sure you know, absolutely if, 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 yes if, somebody is coming to me during this experience and you know and and through whatever language you know through eye contact or verbally or whatever or touch whatever like positive reinforcement um you know and being a reflection of of their of their journey at whatever point in the process they're in like i think that's responsible yeah and but, but that's to, probably what i'm doing is <laughs> just reflecting i like there's not a lot of input that's that's happening on that front. So, like I said, Paul, I'd argue we're probably like ninety five percent on the same page of what this would look like. Yeah, no, I mean, and and you know, just from my time and conversations with you, I would much rather you know be on a first time journey with you than somebody who called themselves like a real like you know psychedelic <laughs> or a psychedelic coach. You know, well, I mean? you know, and that's part of it, Paul. Is like it's really interesting the people that are coming online they're realizing the value of this medicine they're wanting to have experiences with it and so what do, what do we do because not a, i don't believe that everybody should just be given like five grams and go figure it out um you know that that to me doesn't feel like necessarily the path but then like the therapy like take this pill and go sit in this room doesn't feel like the path either so what's the middle way like what's the what's something else that can begin to to happen to open people up to then go do their work, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit with you like ten times. Like I'm gonna turn the shit on, and then you go figure it out, man. Like you get to go figure out this journey now. You you you're awake to the consciousness. Like welcome to your path. Go figure it out. Well, um, you know, to me, it's it's set and setting, right? So if you're providing that, 
and you know, and it's a you know, it's it's positive and it's safe, as safe as it can be. Yeah. And then dosage is a whole different thing, right? Like, like I've always like with friends have always made medicine more available. You're like, here, well, we can start with this. If we get an hour into this thing and you're feeling comfortable, then there's more medicine available. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I'm here as just your friend, right? Someone that you, you know, you're not alone. Right. And, but you're on your own journey. And if you want to come to me for some sort of, you know, um, you know, you want to, you know, you know, you want to mirror with me, that's cool. Right. You want, um, you know, an opinion from me, that's cool. You know, but I'm going to let you kind of do your thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yes. I agree. Like, I'm not like here, like here's, you know, here's, you know, here's three hits of white blotter, you know, and I'm going to drop you off in this park and I'll be back in five hours. You know yeah, what I mean? Right? Have fun. You know what I mean? That's not responsible. No. You know what I mean? Or here's, you know, here's, you know, a George, you know, like a basic George dose, which would be like, I don't know, like 10 or 12 grams of, of whatever the fuck, <laughs> you know what I mean? And drop you off at the beach and, you know, and I'll see you in three hours. You know what I mean? That's not responsible either, you know, but, you know, it's a matter of, to me, it's always been a matter of like, yeah, cool. And watching people go through the journey, I've always enjoyed that, mm-hmm. like for first time, you know, medicine users. And, and it is true, like you in some, and I've had a whole range of emotions while watching people, you know, because mm-hmm. I know, you know, just through, um, you know, through my own psychedelic path, right? Like you see the person, you, there's glimpses of the pr- people that they will turn into mm-hmm. if you know a person long enough, right? And then, and then there's this, the, and then you, you know that they have a certain image of themselves and you watch this thing die, yeah. like literally, 100%. you know, and, and transform into something else. And so there's always been the beauty of that, but there's also been the sadness of that because sometimes, you know, those realizations, you know, post medicine, you know, it can be struggles for people to deal with. And so for me, that's where the work is, right? It's on the other side of the peak Absolutely. and I've said that many times, right? That, that's where the work is because that's where people are gonna be like, probably a little bit freaked out. Some of them, I've had people that were like, oh my God, the world isn't what I thought it was. Mm-hmm. And, and it, they've either been really happy about that or some of them have been really scared about that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, finding that like, hey, you know, it, it, you know, you're seeing the world through a different lens now and that's cool. And although it's unfamiliar and it may be a little bit scary, it's okay, it's gonna be cool. You know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the coaching, right? Or whatever we wanna call it, the integration work, that's what's so important about that is again, like what you're describing, Paul, is 100% what I see is happening, right? It's about setting or creating a safe set and setting for someone. It's letting them kind of decide on their depth and me being able to kind of help understand like what they want to go through. And then from there, being able to to just become a, a reflection to them um, and, and offer them kind of a, and watch them like shed the story that they've been telling themselves, which is their egos. You know, they shed that story and all of a sudden, like, you know, when you get past that drop in of the the medicine, you then are open to the consciousness of like, this is really how it is. And like I had my I had my sound bowl and, you know, playing with the sound bowl when you're playing in those levels of consciousness will just you feel the vibrations and they're just offering people these little things that they can experience fruits and, you know, amazing, you know, pineapple that just explodes in your mouth. Like. 
you know, just giving people that that experience is, I think, really valuable. What about music? Do you use music? A hundred percent. Yes. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and, and I, I love using like ceremonial music. So I have a specific playlist um, and a few of them that I'll work with. But like a guy named East Forest, if anyone's listening, is not familiar with him. But East Forest is this guy based out of Utah that's been doing ceremony music for a while, for like 10 plus years. And it's just, it's uh, and it's done with intent. It's a deep understanding of at least psilocybin for the most part. This is really the only way I've journeyed with it. But he has one specific um, thing called Music for Mushrooms. It's a five hour experience that he did live while facilitating and holding space for people. And this is amazing. So it's like as easy as just, you know, using that, but then having like other music and getting to explore that. So yeah, it's all definitely part of part of that process. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, in life, and I've, you know, I've always said, um, you know, you, you experience, you know, two births and two deaths, mm -hmm. right? There's your birth when your mom gives birth to you and you come into this world. And then there's a death when you first have your real psychedelic experience. And then there's another birth that that happens you know, shortly, you know, while, while your death is happening in, in psychedelics. And then, you know, and then we, and then one day we all, you know, leave the physical and we all die. And, and there's, you know, there's so many people out there that have only experienced one birth and, you know, but having that journey, you know, to another death and into another, into a rebirth is, um, you know, is I, I will, you know, I, I think it's, it's it's good to be with people that are familiar but it's also good to do it on your own you know yeah yeah i i did it on my own i didn't have somebody to facilitate i mean other than my partner who we we would you know do this work together but like um yeah that's the that's the thing is i think some people can find and they if they're feeling called to figure it out on their own they should don't work with someone. <laughs> but if you're, you know, like that's what I really have to trust is the intuition. Again, back to what we were talking about earlier of can we turn on our own internal yes or no? And if we can turn that on, then if your yes is to go do it by yourself, then go do it by yourself. Do not, you know, don't do not think that there's a right way to do this. Cause just like there's a million variants of, of the mushrooms, there's there's a million ways there is no right. Now, are there some wrong? We, yeah, we've learned some lessons. You know, set and setting can definitely uh, be be a factor. But at the end of the day, like you have to find your own path with it. That's what I want to empower people with. Figure it out. You like that's and that's what scares me about sometimes the standardization in the medical world is someone else is figuring it out for you, and they're going to remove the yeah. death part. Yeah, in the medical world, you know, there's. You know, it's all charted and predetermined. And that kind of input is scary. You know, that's the therapy input. That's the input that that makes me anxious as well. You know, on so the topic we, of the I'm sorry, how do, we move, how do we move control of because this is this is, you know, I mean, look, we're having discussions about this it's called the psychedelic roundtable. They just legalized it in Colorado. You know, um, other states are looking towards either decriminalization or legalization. You know, the state I live in is one of them. And so, um, you know, it's been a pretty hot topic for the last few years of, you know, psychedelic medicine. So how do we, how do we create, and I don't even know, an industry is the wrong word, right? But how do we control 
you know, um, a more organic approach to this medicine and less, you know, scientific approaches, which is what the powers that be, the corporations, the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies and even the government, right, are all supporting this one particular path moving forward, which is clinical, right? And to me, that's going to lead to, you know, in society, that's going to lead us to, to dark places, right? People are going to be able to get over, you know, whatever inhibitions that they have, whatever trauma that they've experienced. I believe that it will work on some levels, but I think that we're going to be, it's going to be like, we're going to be leaving a bunch of people in, a, in that space where, and we've all experienced it, where you're not really asleep, but you're not awake either. Yeah. And, and so how do we, how do we, you know, move it into a direction, you know, cause my, my thought is, and it's kind of maybe what you're thinking, Jason is like, this is community based because these things, whatever laws that are going to be controlling this, you know, um, corporations that are going to be throwing billions of dollars at it, these problems are solved within your community. They're not solved through advertisements on television. Like this is how you get better. I think we solve it the same way that we have to solve the other things that have become these these problems, right? Like history is going to repeat itself. And so, you know, we trust the people. We trust those of us that are that are doing the work, that have woken up. We trust the journeys of the individuals that are on their path of personal freedom to wake up other people and just uh, trust the community that there'll be pockets of community that figure it out. Will there be suffering? Absolutely. There, there's, there's no like pill to like not have this thing come through without a lot of suffering and, and pain, unfortunately. I, I just don't think we get away from that. And so it's just kind of, I feel like letting it happen on some levels while us being true to ourselves saying, yeah, guys, there's another way you can do this. There's an alternative, um, you know, in the same way that there's an alternative to everything else that's out there right now, right? There's an alternative to the mainstream way of doing things. An alternative reality that you know maybe Lucky Charms aren't the healthiest food for you. Like, are you seeing this? Like, has this popped up on your guys' radar yet? Mm. Lucky Charms being better than eggs and steak. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, idea like like you should eat more Honey Nut Cheerios than steak. And look, I I bought into the veganism thing for three years, and I was really into like not eating meat. But even now, I've woken up to realizing some of the bullshit that I was fed on that process. You know, like so. It, the same thing is going to happen, and we so, gotta, we just gotta trust, trust the medicine to wake so you, people up. You think the free market will sort it out? Sure, or something else that doesn't even, you don't even know what it is, right? Like there's something new that I think has the has the potency to emerge, what what a, a new way of, of doing things, um, and I think we're we're just gonna kind of be in the growing pains of figuring out what that new way is. Yeah, but when has the free market been supportive of, of a medicine's highest and best use? whether it's cannabis or whether it's, you know, psilocybin, any sort of, you know, hallucinogenic compounds or even alcohol. Right. Or, or I don't think, yeah, no, I think the market is, I think, you know, that's where it's going to be interesting. And I think, you know, what we're going to see is people, you know, people are going to, they're not going to want to do mushrooms. They're going to want to do whatever they create from the mushrooms, right? Like, let's be honest, like, the, all the reason the money's flooding in for research is so they can find their intellectual property of a compound like an LSD that's created in a lab that's built off of this stuff that they can then put their their patent on. And once they figure out how to do that, 
no one's going to want to touch mushrooms because nobody wants to die. <laughs> so uh, we're almost going to be in the same place where it's like, okay, great. You guys can go play with all that. These drugs, call them what they are. They're keeping you asleep. They're not allowing you to heal. And those of us practitioners will say, guys, uh, we have the real thing. And, and we grew it out of this dirt and you, you eat it and it tastes bad and you're going to wake up. Do you want it? Like bought <laughs> in a free and fair market is really not, you know, it's been great for corporations, but right. not so good for people. And this isn't, this shouldn't be a part of the free market. This is part of the individual healing. I don't even know that I struggle with how to even tie money to doing sometimes this type of work because it should be something that's based out of the community that's available to everyone. Well, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about though, right? Is like, you know, how do we stop it from being a bastardization of what the three of us have experienced, right? You know, to the actual genuine thing that we know the medicine is. Yeah. I don't think that's up to us. Like, we're not going to stop that from happening. But I think if you want to see the future, then you should look at what's happened in the past to similar things. If you look at, like, let's take weed, for example. There's all kinds of, you know, um, cannabinoids. And they've taken, you know, you can get the sprays now where, like, hey, you don't get high from this, but it has all the benefits. Mm -hmm. That's what you're going to see with the mushroom. Hey, the psilocybin, you don't see, any, you don't see anything, but you get the medicinal effects. And it's a way of separating the spirituality from the healing. And it's just going to be a big marketing process. I think Jason is accurate in that the commercialization of it depends on the profitability of it. In order to do that, you must create a patent for it. And so once, once they begin adding a, a water molecule to it or, or whatever it is, then, then there'll be like a smear campaign for mushrooms. Oh, and you'll probably still come out with some story. Look, all these kids are dying because they're eating the mushrooms in the raw or something like that. But I, I, I think that what we're looking yeah, at. Yeah, of course. Let me interrupt you, man. Yeah, like, I, I'm in the I'm in the nut world, right? And there's no smear campaign against like almonds or pistachios. I mean, there are people that have you know that complain about how they're growing, but. There's, they're not there's no nut. There's yeah. There's a tons of there's tons of smear campaigns in the nut. How about a nut allergy? My kid but, can't even go to school and bring a nut. Okay, all right. So like I said, there are some things, but they're not replaceable. What, right, your nuts are not replaceable. There's no fake almond, right? There's there's no kind of there's, you know. Yeah, there's all there's like almond extract. Like they've they've found ways to commercialize the almond on top of the rare nut that you eat. Like that's what I'm saying. They're gonna have like these extracts. They're gonna have derivatives of the mushroom, and like that's where the capitalization, the free market, are gonna get into exploiting it. But the, my whole process was, my whole idea was that I think this is different on one level, and that level is that the magic is in the realization once you take it. And I, I think that regardless of what people turn it into you change when you take mushrooms like it changes the way you see the world it changes the way you think and that's why i had previously mentioned i feel it's like a trojan horse in a way because you're seeing billions of dollars being poured into it by the pharmaceutical industry and mushrooms are having it has the opposite of people take mushrooms and they're like hey wait a minute the pharmaceutical industry sucks like it's it's changing the and, and maybe it's not the mushrooms maybe it's our society changing maybe it's our attitude towards drugs changing but the mushrooms and psychedelics, at least the natural psychedelics, seem to be a catalyst for better living. 
you know, there's a real danger to taking LSD or mushrooms or ayahuasca because you might want to drop out of society and start a farm. You know, like that's, there's some real things that happen there. People start thinking differently. And it's, it's, it's almost like, I look at it as like an exogenous, I can't even say this word, exogenous neurotransmitter. Like it fits the receptors in such a way that it's supposed to. It's almost like you can communicate with the earth. It's almost like when you take this, it allows you some three hours of clarity or three hours of a communication. And if you look back to like the ancient Greeks and you hear about the logos, the way in which they communicated with the planet, the voice that they heard, their inner voice, it's almost like the psychedelics are giving us that inner voice back. And so I think that there, there's a ton of money. They're trying to commercialize it, but they can only commercialize something they patent. And I think the reason they have struggled for so long is like, how do you, how do you make money on something that grows on shit? Like it just grows everywhere. You know, how do you restrict that from, from, from people taking it? Yeah. So now all of a sudden, what are they going to do is they're going to say, oh, you know what? We actually found the, the miracle pill to solve the problem that we've been creating over the last 60 years with the rise of anxiety and depression, right? Like the rise of anxiety and depression, the, the two main things that are, and, and oh, by the way, PTSD, right? Are the right. wars this country has created. We now have all of these people that are suffering because of the way that they've been disconnected from this earth through their nutrition, through their guts, right? That depression is healed through the gut, not the brain. There's more serotonin generated in your gut and not your head. But what did they do? They gave us pills to take care of your brain and paid, didn't do shit for your gut. And they gave you horrible foods, right? So now all of a sudden we have this epidemic, if you want to call it so, of anxiety and depression and PTSD. And now all of a sudden they can patent the miracle drug that'll solve, that'll fix that problem for you, right? That'll, that'll make you feel happy. That, that won't, won't, won't make you feel like your life isn't as shitty. Um, and okay, and so again, that's a really just like, I don't want to take away from people's experiences because I've experienced this healing. I know how powerful it is, but I think that's the Trojan horse is right now. It's actually good, good work that's happening. People are healing from this, but I don't think it'll be too long until there's, there's another shift here. Okay, so what you're talking it, about, what you're talking about, then, Jason, is like, is, you know, I'm just kind of forming some thoughts here. But what you're talking about is basically where people aren't experiencing the death and the rebirth, and they're just taking a, you know, a, a pill that'll help them cope. Yeah. Got it. I think there's, a, I think there's, and a I think fear that's the difference. That's going to be what people, you know, there, and and again, that coping. There's beautiful work that can happen in coping with the, the PTSD and, and getting your life back and, and starting you down that path. Um, yeah, but what about but what about having the death and the rebirth and let that be the mechanism that helps you with PTSD and depression? That's I mean that and this is that's, the question that's what mushrooms like, is, right? The difference with these medicines like MDMA. When you're experiencing MDMA, you're you're you almost like you you feel everything. Everything is so heightened. That the pleasure and, and the ability, like, and I got to do some really beautiful work on MDMA um, of being able to like do some therapy stuff that I hadn't, and I guided myself through it. I, I didn't get, sit with anyone, um, but it gave me perspective on my life that I never had before. And it was really beautiful, but very different than what Uncle Mushrooms has taught me about life. <laughs> like Uncle Mushrooms says, hey, you want to learn something? You got to die. You want to learn something? You got to die. You want to learn something? You got every time you come to the mushrooms, you die in some way. Because on some levels, to me, that's the keys to the kingdom. Like, you know, 
Paul, you said we go through one rebirth. I think that we are on a path of multiple rebirths. And, and we have our initial awakening and we are reborn, but I think it's it's a practice. And there's all, you know, it, it happens to you time and again. And the moment you think you don't need it, it kicks you in the butt and reminds you like, yep, you, you need to be reborn again. No, I mean, I would agree with that. You know, I, I just, to me, the most profound one, like, you know, that mm -hmm. I've ever looked back on was the first time I ever did anything like this. Again, you must be, be right. reborn to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? Like, that's it. You, you have to at least do it once. You don't have to keep doing it, but you got to do it once. Yeah, but I don't equate my rebirth with heaven. Well, I, I mean this reality. I don't mean it. Like, I mean the eternal now, not some sort of like cloud with angels. Somehow. Yeah, maybe. I don't, um, I don't know about the afterlife. I, th I think that uh, on the topic of medicinal strategies, you know, you, you see the pharmaceutical industry or even Western medicine, it tends to deal in coping mechanisms. It tends to deal with the patch. It doesn't solve the root of the problem. And I think a lot of the new psychedelic medicine does, it doesn't really solve the problem, but it gives you the insight to do the work to solve the problem. And once you do that, you no longer need the medicine. So yes. our, our Western style is like, take this pill and you can get up and go to work tomorrow and not worry about it. Hey, you don't have to think about it. Just take this pill and you'll have the energy. Take this pill and you'll feel good even though you're upset at your life. But if you keep taking this thing, then you'll be fine. And then when people stop taking it, they lose their mind. But if you go and you have a few psychedelic sessions, you're like, you know what? I have some misplaced anger that I've been just dealing, throwing at everybody. That's I should fix that. Why is that? And you start thinking about it. It may be one, two, or three sessions. You know, all of a sudden you realize, God, it's me. I'm the problem. This, you know, it's not going to help me. And if you look at like the experiments being done with PTSD or anger management, then you see, like you can read a lot of these studies where people have one or two sessions and they're 85% better. Sometimes they take one or two sessions and never take it again, which leads me to, a. I think there's a problem in medicine right now with the, the clinical trials and the big money pharmaceutical monies. I'll tell you what I think their Achilles heel is. They say psychedelics aren't for everyone, especially those people that are bipolar, especially those people that have psychiatric problems, especially these people that are in this high risk area. Well, isn't that like just a way of making sure your clinical trial doesn't fail? Like yeah. these are who the medicine is for, exactly. but they're making sure none of those people can be in the trials because they want it to work. Mm -hmm. Well, wh what are you, what are you testing? You should be testing it only on those people, but they're afraid. Oh, we can't give to these people. They might freak out. Yeah. Those are the people that need it the most. Yep. So I, in some weird way, they're just whitewashing all these clinical trials. So nothing, don't use these people. You know what I mean? But those are the people that need it the most. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where people like people that, and this gets us full scale back to what you were saying about the dangers of inputs, Paul, they're, those people, they need some inputs. They need someone who is knows their way around psychedelics. And it's probably not going to be a guy in a lab coat. It's probably going to be a guy a UPS driver that lives in Hawaii or something like that, that can really help people. You know, you, you have to be able to sit with someone, maybe on a low dose yourself. And that person's going through some stuff and you have to be able to get in their face and be like, look, man, you are way out of control. You're, I want you to be honest with me right now. Do you see the way the, the you always use that word hate? Why? Cause that's cause you hate yourself. You hate yourself a lot. 
And that's a huge problem. You're going to end up doing something horrible to everyone you love. In fact, you have. I know your friends. Like you need a psychedelic intervention on some people. And it can be dangerous. That person flip out and punch you in the face. But the truth is that's where the inputs come in. And there are some dangerous things because you start plugging wires into people, you know, all of a sudden you have Jonestown, you have Charles Manson, but on some level, someone who truly cares about someone with a psychiatric disorder under the influence of psychedelics can fundamentally change that person's life forever for the good. They can bring them back. And so I, they are dangerous, and I don't know the exact way to do it, but I see that that is the true realization of psychedelics and people that are on the forefront that really want to help. Like We need people that are willing to take those chances with people that are mentally ill because I think that that's where the magic can happen, and well, pharma's not going to do it. Well, and I think it's interesting that we also look at these various medicines and how they can help, the I think, the various levels that people deal with. and. I don't know if any if you guys have had an experience with either ibogaine or iboga, but no. that medicine is one that is to me completely different from everything else, and it reworks you on a cellular level. And the iboga um, centers that are opening up are often focused on dealing with people that are like addicted to heroin and opioids and deep deep alcoholism and. For those people that need like the a deep rewiring, like iboga is a beautiful medicine for that. Um, but you know, again, it's different than uncle mushrooms, or it's different than ayahuasca and all of these. So I don't know, Paul. What do you see about the different medicines meeting people and kind of the experiences that they need? Well, I mean, it depends on the person, right? Um. I mean, for me, I've had a, you know, a wide, uh, you know, an experience with a, a wide ranging amounts of psychedelics. Um, some of them have been, you know, good for me and some of them were not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess, you know, things that were not good for me, you know, some of my friends were like, oh, yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing time. You know what I mean? And I, you know, and, and they really, they, they were, the medicine was, was able to shine through them or reflect through them in a way that it wasn't for me mm. um and so i think you know as we move forward with with making these types of medicines more available to people that maybe that's where like a coaching thing would come into play like if i'm you know if you want to talk about assisting people is like having an understanding of how these medicines work mm -hmm. you know and what experiences you've had and you would have to do a lot of experiencing with these different types of medicines absolutely to be able to make recommendations for people <laughs> based on personality traits or um you know um uh, life experience um you know but i like i said i've only you know i've done like five different psychedelics yeah so i don't, I don't that's not a lot Right. I mean, I know people who are like, man, I've done like 15, 16 different types of psychedelics, you know. Um, and, I, you know, I've shared a couple of experience, like things that worked for me. You know, I didn't I didn't really have too much of an experience on like San Pedro, mm -hmm. you know, but I but I think it was also part of of like, you know, how it was made, how it was prepared. Um, and then really had, you know, some some great experiences with you know with with mushrooms with lsd um and then not so good you know with uh, like jimson weed and um you know so i think it's 
I think there's something there for, you know, in, in the preparation of the medicine as well. Um, and then, and then being able to kind of figure out what, you know, I got a friend who freaking, who loves San Pedro, man. And that's all he'll do, you know, but this is a guy who's done so many other things and he just like, you know, mushrooms aren't my thing. Yeah. You know, I, I just, they, you know, like I, it's cool. I've, I've had some good experiences. I don't like the way it makes me feel like in the first hour, um, you know, and to me, you know, I've always really thought like the, that, you know, the chitin in the, in mushrooms themselves, you know, kind of set you up for your experience. It's that, you know, it's the feeling of, of, of nausea. It's the, you know, kind of this sinking gut feeling that you get that to me helps enhance, you know, the experience once that goes away and yeah. you begin to feel the effects of the medicine itself. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I've heard of, of, um, you know, clinics, um, you know, like especially down in Mexico where they're using, um, you know, certain drugs to cure people of alcoholism and, and heroin and those types of things. But I don't know if those things are necessarily, you know, psychedelic. Yeah. I mean, the Iboga or Ibogaine I'm gonna is talk to a guy. psychedelic. What was that, George? I'm going to meet with uh, Levi Barker, who's who's got a company called Iboga Wellness next okay. week. And so, um, yeah, what, 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 what are you guys, like, when you think about that, Jay, what are some questions that you have about it? Like, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. I know it's like a 24, I think I heard it's like a 24 hour experience or an 18 hour experience. And it's, you know, I, I don't really know much about it, but I've heard that people can go down with a heroin addiction, take it and be heroin free after they can go down with a smoking addiction. And so it, it, you know, I, I've I've heard a few stories about it, but I don't know a whole lot about it. What what would you like to learn more about mm. on that topic? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because you know I believe that it's limited to or found in West Africa, and I'm always curious about how do how do you honor kind of that indigenous wisdom when it then kind of gets transplanted? And often I think it is. There's like a, a, a you know a boga holds a very specific process and again i think something that should be held to various um people that are trained in that and so i don't know i'd be curious to know like his thought on like how to how these different medicines are kind of connected to the training um and you know whether it's ayahuasca or iboga you know, the interesting thing about mushrooms is it's available everywhere so i kind of feel like there's not the same like you could definitely go in and study like you know the the toltec or you know different shamans that have used that but They've been everywhere. Every society has used them in some way, shape, or form. But I'd be curious to know about that specific to why iboga and and its shamanic roots in West Africa. I think there's a difference between iboga and iboga gain. Iboga gain. Which I think that's that's the derivative of iboga, it's, right? It's the it's the de the derivative of it. And iboga, if I remember correctly, has a little bit more concerns around like heart conditions. Oh, like people, yeah, I've heard that. like yeah. So you have to be sometimes even in a clinical setting. Um, so I'd be curious to know, like, yeah, that ha handling that medicine um, with these these more kind of sometimes clinical risks of, of potential heart heart issues that that arise yeah that's, that's good stuff you guys ever have you guys ever have any concerns with the way that the psychedelics are being presented to, to people today that some of these you know therapy or you know fixes um you know that they're they're proclaiming you know um you know will occur through the use of, of this medicine or just 
you know, kind of like band-aids, like they're really fragile. And then what that might do to people, you know, um, that people that don't do the full experience, people that are just like, you know, taking little bits and pieces of these different types of hallucinogens or psychedelics and, and, you know, using them more on like a clinical path, um, being, you know, like, Hey, I got a, I got a fix, but it's kind of fragile. It's like fix a flat in your car. You know what I mean? Your car tire. It's not, you didn't replace the tire. You just threw some shit in there to make it so it doesn't leak anymore, but eventually that's not going to work. Right. And then it's going to begin leaking again. And, and, and then our, you know, so to me, I've always like thought, okay, you know, people are doing work with PTSD, people are doing work with depression and anxiety and all the rest of this stuff. But there's a real danger there that, that some of these, some of the, the way that these, these medicines are being applied are not sustainable. They're really not fixing anything. And then it's going to give those medicines a bad name when people, you know, five, six, seven years from now, like, yeah, I did it. It worked for, you know, two or three months or a year, two years. And then I could never really get my shit together. And so, it, it, you know, I, things fell apart and I blame the medicine. I would say to somebody that didn't wake to their personal freedom, <laughs> their choice, they, they didn't like, yeah, that's going to happen. But I think it's, um, I, I don't know that there's anything we can do to like protect that, unfortunately. Like to me, maybe this is more dystopian in my perspective, but like, I trust like people will, will try to find the easy route. They're going to try to find the shortcut. They're going to try to find the path of least resistance. And they're going to continue to be frustrated by that, which on some levels is why I feel like this work will always be present, no matter how legalized things get or, you know, whatever shift, there will always be the need for the community to help people do this work. And it's up to the individual to make that decision for themselves and, and unplug from the narrative that they're being told about how it should work for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, which which makes me think like there's a war brewing. A hundred. There's a war of happening right now. We're in right. it. Well, like, you know, a big fight. And, yeah. you know, and it's going to be discussions like this with people like us you know, that, that actually really need to be taking the fight, you know, to the other side. I mean, I, I do this a lot, just, you know, when I'm not here in the podcast and I'm talking to people about this stuff, because people are like, oh, you do a, you do, you know, round table discussion about psychedelics. And then the people always have all these, you know, interesting things to say about psychedelics. But, you know, I've kind of taken like, you know, this stance of like, no, that, you know, that clinical stuff, these boxes people want to put you in, in some retreat, you know, in South America or in Mexico or, you know, or out in the foothills of freaking California. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a, that's where the war is. Right? You got to take the war to those people. And yet I think there's some really I think that there's, happening in those spaces. Yeah. I what think there's, saying? I think there's room for both. I think there's room for both. You know, I, on some level, like on some level, I often think, how can you manage what you don't measure? And that's one of the, the one of the points I think science has in the in the world of psychedelics is like what what the fuck is happening? Like how, how do you manage what you can't measure? And I, I spoke to a guy in Jamaica that's he's they found ways to kind of measure, you know, your or they're working on ways to measure 
synaptic connectivity. They're working on ways to measure, uh, you know, neurotransmitters, like the, the, the way in which they connect. And so, you know, there, there may be some, some sort of profound knowledge you can get by thoroughly understanding the psychedelic reaction. Like, you know, is, is there a set amount of receptors that someone has that can be filled by the psilocybin or is the width of the, the synaptic gap, something that plays a role in it. And, you know, ultimately like we may not be able to figure that out off the bat, but you know, how do brain waves function during a psychedelic experience and what effect does that have? And if we see this pattern of brain waves in somebody does that mean they have more of a breakthrough or less than a breakthrough? These people in Jamaica were working with a lab that was studying the different brain waves. And, you know, I, I, I personally wouldn't want to be hooked up to like a brain machine when I'm tripping my balls off, but you know, there, maybe there's something to that. And maybe that there's some people that have, maybe the person that is suffering from that has a serious clinical problem would benefit from a more, scientific approach where someone has a relationship problem would would be better served by a mentor or a coach or a setting with a friend or something like that i think there's space for both of them but i would agree that with paul that they're like some of the facilities some of the science is strictly out there for money they're strictly they don't care about your well-being they don't care about that they just want to provide you a drug and send you on your way. And I think that those are the people that are, are going to cause problems in the space. Those are the people that are going to cause more heartache. Those are the people that are going to allow the individual to give the medicine a bad name. And, and so I, I think that there's room for both. I'm curious. Well, this is, this is going to be, this is why this is the major, major, major problem with decriminalization and legalization. Mm. Mm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Like, yeah. What's that? Tell well, us I more. Mean, you you know, I mean, well, I mean, uh, you know, while well, these things were illegal, right, then then there wasn't the opportunity for, you know, the monetary system to step in and start, you know, determining how the path forward using these medicines, which is what they're going to do. So it's happening right now, right? But when you know these yeah. substances are black market and these substances are are illegal then you know basically it's it's kind of the rootsy organic you know methodology of using these medicines that would have continued on but with legalization it's a whole nother ball game it's you know it's the dilution of these of these of these medicines it's going to be the interpretations of how they're delivered and what you should expect from them mm -hmm. and and so that's always the problem with 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 legalization. It happened to you know it happened to, to cannabis. It happened to weed. Yeah, I'm curious. So too, just, yeah. When you look at like the science and understanding the stuff and 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 on the on our deeper levels, let's say we were able to understand it. What mm -hmm. like why does that matter? What changes would that bring that in your when you think about these approaches that would be a benefit? to have a deeper scientific understanding of what's happening? That's a great question. It is a great question. And thank you for asking. I think that what you, when you begin to understand what's happening in the brain, then you begin to understand a new reality around you. It's like, it's like having an insight. 
Like if I know the way memories are formed, if I know that, for instance, you don't, if, if I remember something in my past, I'm never recalling that same time. I'm recreating that memory. Every time I think of it, I'm recreating that story. It's never the same memory twice, even though I think it is. And so that allows me to understand when I remember something, when I remember playing tag with my cousin when I was eight, that didn't really happen. It's a representation. It's a, I'm remembering it. So if I know that it's a representation of it, I know that what I think happened isn't exactly what happened. And the reason something like that's important is like, if you look at witness testimony in, in when people go to trial, one of the most false things that happen is a, is a, is a witness testimony of what's actually happened. And so like, we didn't know that going, you know, we didn't, we didn't used to know that, but, and I'll give you an example. One time I got robbed at a pizza place and, uh, it was me and three other people. And these dudes came in right to the register and they pulled out a gun. Give me all your money. Get on the ground. I'm going to kill you. Ah, I start freaking out. The cops come and the cops pulled us apart and they go, look, we want you to describe the people that robbed you. So I described them and my friend described them and my boss described them. I described him wearing a red hat. The other guy described him wearing a blue hat. And my other boss described him wearing a green hat. Like, how could that possibly be? Well, the fact is we know what's happening in the brain. We know that you freaked out. We know that you're not remembering correctly. So might it be possible in the world of psychedelics, if we know this, like we know this feeling of harmony is like, it's, it's a, it's a, we all get this sense of well-being. Like, what is that? What if we could figure out what that is by understanding what part of the brain is lighting up? What if by brain waves, like right now we have a bunch of rough graphs that show connectivity. <laughs> right now we have ways that understand the default mode network is being turned off. But what if we learn that visual information is being processed in Broca's area? Might there be something that we can branch off in science there? You know, might we learn, hey, we could use this particular mushrooms to understand the world better. And here's, here's a way we could, we could just use it as a jump off point to, to, to learn more. And I mean, that's just one way I was thinking of, like that could be just some subjective bullshit, but I think that there's, I think that there's stuff in there. What do you think? Hey, George. Yeah. You made a really good argument against your argument. I did? supporting specialists earlier in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think that there's, I think over-specialization is a huge problem. What do you think a gynecologist is going to figure this out? Um, maybe if he was working on a pussy, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Though. That's what it takes. No, I don't. Well, I mean, what, what is what take specialists look into this stuff? Jason asked, Does it matter that we know exactly how all these things work? I don't think it does, right? But it takes well, it doesn't matter to you, yeah, that's right. It doesn't matter to me, right? But what I'm saying well, is... Well, he was asking me why I think it matters. Right, <laughs> right. I think but, it matters. But you made an argument for specialists because that's who's going to figure it out. It's not going to be, you know, an oncologist that figures it out. It's not going to be a gynecologist that figures it out. It's going to be somebody who specializes in these little parts of the brain and even more specializes in how psychedelics work with these parts of the brain. 
that's why we need specialists. And I was going to make that argument earlier, but you made it for me very eloquently, but I might add. I, I see. I, I think that it could be the person that takes mushroom is a specialist. It depends on how you define specialist. Someone that takes a lot of mushrooms is a specialist. Please let's not Some, redefine specialist. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think we defined our terms when we spoke about it, but okay. in, so, I mean, you're, I think you're I'm using specialist in a different argument. way than I'm using it. No, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man. I don't, I don't, I don't really know. You do. I, I think the thing that's interesting, George, is thinking about, and, you know, again, science, like when we look at the path of like what's gotten us to where we're at, right. science has continued to push us deeper and deeper into the minute, right? And so you mm -hmm. look at the evolution of really like how things have shifted over the last 400 years, 500 years, mm -hmm. you know, we went from the macro understanding of the universe around us and holding mm -hmm. a lot of wisdom of understanding the stars and understanding you know even like the the ancient way of understanding the world had this deep deep understanding of of earth and and science right but it was big it was long it was watching patterns but they, why was it so big what's that why was it so big because it was the only way you could observe it you could only watch the stars move across the sky and it took a long time to see the pattern that began to emerge that then could tell you about the certain patterns it took Agreed. storytelling to understand the weathered patterns of, again, I, I believe that ancient people held an innate knowledge of this world, but it's so close. What's that? You're so close. So the, it's, it's the merge of what, in my opinion, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think this yeah. is relevant. I, I think what we're, what we saw in the past was there was science and spirituality, which were the same, were different sides of the same coin. And in the recent times, we have seen science be amputated from spirituality. And because I think you're seeing the two things come back together. And yes. I think that that's why science can now play a role because we're mature enough to combine science with spirituality. They're the same thing. And we need them both to thoroughly understand what's happening. And that's why I think that we can use science in conjunction with spirituality. And I think the mushroom is the spiritual component. And some of our techniques that we have learned can be the scientific component. When you put them together, then you can get the whole picture. Instead of just seeing the spirituality or seeing the science, I think we can see them together. Well, I think the experience is what drives these things together, not a knowledge. So I, I like don't that. know that on some levels it matters that we are able to understand the science of what's happening because the experience is merging our science to our spirituality. And that's the, and, and almost to the point where then the knowing, because my, my concern sometimes is, well, if we know, and I can tell you what's happening, like George, you don't have a, your memory is fucked, right? You saw a red hat. He saw a yellow hat. Oh, surprise, right. surprise. It's actually a blue hat, right? Right. So all of a sudden your experience is challenged by the knowing. So what is it? Does your experience trump your knowing? Is your or is knowing more important than experience? And I don't think point, we'll ever know. I think we'll always be searching. Okay, but you can know a little bit more. You know what I mean? You can take another step on the path. Yeah, but I don't think you'll ever know. I think you get to a you think you're like oh we're almost there, and then you're like oh right. I'm just on a foothill. There's the mountain over there, and that's what I would hope for too. Is that yeah that we're always yeah. like we don't ever feel like we've arrived. Because that's when you die. Yeah, exactly. You never will arrive. So the science is kind of fall, like hard on that point because it's never going to it's never going to be done. It's an ongoing thing. 
yeah, may, maybe the science gets uh, consumed by the spirituality. You know, maybe there is a no. Part of me, part of me thinks that there is no learning. There's only like it's there's only things that are revealed to you. Like this sounds crazy, but like I, in my book, I wrote about neuroplasticity. I've I've read a little bit about it, but I feel, and this is this may be woo woo or tinfoil hat, but I feel that when I take psychedelics that I get a thorough understanding of how the brain works and how new neural pathways are made. And I haven't had any formal training, but I was able to write it out in a way that I thought made a lot of sense. And I went back and some of it is, is pretty accurate. And I think I described it better than some of the medical literature. And I have never even had any medical training, but if I think that's information is revealed to you. And I, th I think you can do that under a hardcore psychedelic trip. I think you can see and understand things because the information's there for all of us to grasp. You don't need necessarily to go learn from someone else's opinion, you know? So it's, well, the, I know. it's the difference of being a uh, teacher's assistant versus a professor, you know, teacher, mm -hmm. like uh, the, all the adjunct professors that are out there that are getting their master's degrees, they're teaching other people shit. They're teaching out of the book. The professor writes the book, right? The professor right. holds wisdom. And that's what I believe we're all working towards is that if you're just out there, and this is, again, what I would say, 90% of the coaches that are out there, to Paul's point, they're TAs. They're just like, oh, I read this thing in the book. And so now I'm going to teach you this thing that I read in the book, but I've never experienced it. And, and we got to be, we got to go have the experiences. And then, and then from that, right, again, Paul Stamets, the, the key, my college, he doesn't hold a college degree as far as I understand. Like, he doesn't hold uh, any sort of traditional understanding. Randy Carlson, dude that was with Graham Hancock. I know he could be a little like a woo-woo, but like that dude has no formal training. He's just a enthusiast that has been going down this rabbit hole and has incredible amounts of knowledge that's important for people to be hearing. So I agree with yeah. you. I think we're going to find this data and information not through wires, the science of looking at readout of your brain waves but a knowing, an internal experience that might describe it, that then when tested is like, holy shit, he's right. There it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you, Jason, with that. Um, you know, the we had this discussion in the chat about bringing on a woman who was in Europe who were, was doing work with psychedelics and, you know, how the neurotransmitters and everything in your brain work. And I thought people were, you know, in favor of, of you know, having people like that join us on this podcast but i wasn't mm. right because mm. you know i although i do think that that stuff is important it's kind of esoteric but important um that you know to me the work is done you know within the experience like you're talking about george right like where you yeah. had you know psychedelic experience where the medicine was speaking to you and telling you and maybe not, you know, clinical or scientific terms on how all these things work, but you had an inner understanding of what was going on in your brain based on what your brain and what the medicine was telling you, not what any other external factors were telling you, right? Well, and I think this is an interesting piece of history that is like, I feel like we're trying to avoid, but when you look at the pioneers, you know, specifically like Tom Leary and, and um, or sorry, Timothy Leary and, you know, uh, Ram Dass, they were doing all this. They were experiencing it and out of that experience driving science. And that pissed everybody off because they were compromised because they were having the experiences mm. with the people. 
And so I feel like in this round of us trying to grow in our scientific understanding, the scientist has removed themselves from the, the subject or, you know, the, the experience. And now they're trying to understand something. Hopefully they're doing it on the side. God, I hope they're having these yeah. experiences so that yeah. they can try to. But if they're not and they're trying to just to apply science to this, it's going to get real weird. And I think it could then lead down to some of these paths that we're seeing because it's like, oh, don't take the medicine. Like how many doctors are taking Oxycontin, right? Like, oh, no, I would never touch that shit. But here you go. Take another pill. Well, that's yeah. my concern, right? Is, yeah. is that this is what's happening. And then so you bring that to the free market, right? So now all of a sudden, people like us who have real world experience with psychedelics and have been doing it for a long time, right, are all of a sudden lending credibility to people who are in lab coats and have, yeah. you know, no real world experience and how these things work. All they're able to do is isolate chemicals and tell you how the brain works, which it's then, yeah, the that would be there. What's that? The battle's going to be held there, right? Like we're going to, yeah, that's the, that's the battleground that I see coming to. Right. So that's kind of what we're, we're talking about earlier. Yeah. Right. And then, so, and then, so, you know, then what happens with, with the free market, right? Well, it's always going to gravitate towards the guys in the lab coats. And because that's where they feel all the credibility lies. And so for like us, and this is what I was talking about, the foothills of California and some of these places where people are, you know, experimenting with using, you know, this medicine, PTSD and all the and all the rest of those places like that's those are the battlegrounds. Those were the where the wars are going to be fought. And yeah, that goes, it you know, goes with the money. And is. It, yeah. And it's up to like people like us to kind of be standing there going, no, 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 no. Fuck that. Right. This is the way. Yeah, go into these foothills. Don't don't take ayahuasca in a freaking room. It's meant to be taken in the jungle. Don't take ayahuasca from some weird person, you know, that says, like, I got some for you. Like, go to the shaman in the Amazon and take, like, go honor these medicines. And I do think, and then unfortunately, there's a commercialization and all the, the free market in, in that scenario. But to me, that's at least better than just thinking that we can all, we can be experiencing this stuff by ourselves in our homes without any sort of, of, of guidance or understanding yes yeah not the guy who's pretending to be something that he is not for the sole purpose of getting laid exactly <laughs> yep yeah that's it's those are out there i think and they'll, they'll always be out there because they're they are, they are out there my friend <laughs> you know in, in a big way they are out there Oh, and it's showing up in all sorts of different forms. We've, you know, yeah, like I've seen it show up in, in some of the stuff my partner's experienced with coaching and the stuff that's out there. You know, it's like, again, you have, if you're like the biggest encouragement to anyone that's listening is thinking about doing work with someone is you need to listen to their story. You need to be able to look at how clean they are. You need to look at like what, like, because they'll have their tells of whether or not they're teaching out of the, the handbook or they're teaching from their experience. Mm. And if they're teaching out of the handbook, stay away. They're, especially if you're looking for a professor, a mentor, someone that can really guide you, TA is just reading a book. They don't know shit. And so anytime you're seeking wisdom from someone, you need to, you need to do your work to understand, does this person actually hold the knowledge that I'm seeking to learn? Or they just, did they just read it in some book and get inspired by Tony Robbins and now they're calling themselves a life coach? 
So now you're you're convincing me of your argument for coaching, Jason, because of those things that you said, right? Like like cleanliness and yeah. pure good intent, right? Yeah, like what's how do they handle money? What are how are they transparent? Like and then there there are the good ones that are out there that that are living in that way, but I would agree, I think ninety-five percent, you know, are 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 compromised in some way, shape, or form. But people don't know how to see it. They don't know how to see the charlatans because they want help. They want support. They want to, you know, yeah. they want the goods that's being said. Right. You know, and, and a lot of these people, and we've had this discussion before where they're just like, they really want to try something alternative to what they've been taught growing up or what their doctor is telling them, the traditional doctor, you know, and so they, you know, they, and oftentimes, well, maybe not oftentimes, but a lot of times, they end up trusting the wrong people, you know, and then they, you know, they end up, you know, and, and then they, they end up becoming problems for people like you, Jason, you know, who are actually out there trying to do some good stuff. And, and then, and then, you know, read not programming, but, you know, showing them that there's a different way becomes very difficult because when people have negative first time experiences with psychedelics, man, it could be very hard to can be traumatizing. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, you'd be traumatized, and it'd be really hard to get them on the right path. To let them, you know, give them the tools, you know, so that they can find the right path. But this comes back to again in my mind, like that you you have to guide people back to their own personal freedom. Like if you're going to heal, the only way you're going to heal is by healing yourself. There is no savior. Like I'm convinced of that. You cannot take a pill. There is medicine. Like you have to show up now. Do you need support and help? A hundred percent. You can't do it alone. You need community. You need people. And this is something I've been experiencing in my life where I, you know, some just even in my own fitness, like wanting to get to certain places. I've tried a bunch of shit over the last five years and I've never really gotten to where I wanted to go. And I finally have found, you know, a, a friend that is a personal trainer and I've completely surrendered my entire experience to him. Like I am waking up at 5.30 in the morning to go to the gym and I have no idea what I'm going to do. That's the first time I've ever had this where I'm just surrendering and I'm asking for help. And I'm finding this so much in life to get to where we want to go, we have to be willing to ask for help. But that's my choice. It's actually the, the power that I hold that I can ask for help. But I have to be conscious that I still have to be the one to show up and do the work. I got to be the one that's waking up at 5.30 tomorrow morning to show up or with my yoga practice. I got to freaking be there to show up. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm showing up. And that's the path to healing is showing up. And, you know, my, my, my partner is a chiropractor and does a lot of alternative wellness and healing for people. And her stories are amazing, but the consistent theme is people finally made a decision for themselves and decided to show up. It stops trying to bypass their experience to something else. You know, on the topic of different, um, healers or coaches or doesn't legalization open the door to regulation and couldn't you have like a governing board that sought out people who thoroughly understood psychedelics and have had a kind of experience like i know it, it may be a slippery slope because then you maybe find your way into more corruption but it seems to me that you know a lot of the problems could be solved with regulation if you you know, you have the right sort of guidelines to find people like yourself or other like-minded people. You know, you could have some sort of silver badge at the door or, you know, whatever it is that 
that shows that you've been regulated by this certain board. But see, that's then, the problem is I don't trust okay. the government to do that. <laughs> like I don't trust the government to provide regulation of what should like this is there there needs to be freedom, like ultimate sovereignty to decide. Like that right. you know, kind of my mind instantly jumped to the idea of guns for some reason. And you look at there our evolution of guns and how our work with guns, and we had this thing that was really valuable to us, and we could kill, you know, an animal at a level and it was supportive and we could grow and expand and we didn't have to work as hard anymore. And you look at how that evolves into something that's so massively destructive and, and only meant for something evil like war and then a regulating body on who can and cannot have what kind of guns. And again, it's just on some levels, like, does that not just become like the path of psychedelics? Like, right. This beautiful thing that started off really good and pure can now all of a sudden turn into something that it, through industry, the free market becomes something that's not even at all what it was ever intended for. And yeah. if, if they put like, body around that, but it doesn't support it. Oh, sorry, you're breaking up. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. And if you put someone like me on a regulatory board, right? Like, hey, Paul, you're going to freaking work for the government. You're going to be the regulator. Well, I mean, people would work quickly to remove me because I'd be standing in the way of people becoming billionaires. And people would be shouting, like, what's the point of having legalization if I can't get a private jet out of this? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a process, you know, but I, maybe there's, maybe there's a, a, a private sort of regulatory board or a private group that people could know of, you know, like it doesn't, you could have your own brand since we're talking about branding earlier, you know, if you had your own brand of, of techniques or something like that, but. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the path is that as people choose to work with this, they need to find what's right for them and how they do their work. They put it out there. They're transparent about it. And it's not going to be, I'm not right for everyone. You know, like when you look at the idea of like who I potentially have the opportunity to work with and help in this way, you know, it's a, a, a minute fraction of society is the right people to work with me. I don't like, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's 50 people really at the end of the day. You know, it's like, 50 people. That's it. It is the smallest of the smallest of the smallest that I'm right for. And that's where we need a plethora of people that yeah. are out there and available because they're right. only going to be right for their 50 people or whatever you want. Right. That's and so that's where, again, it can't get too big because the, the it's such a like you can only be right for who you're right for. Right. Yeah. But the people that you're right for, Jason, are going to be more personality based. Right. Sure. But your but your ideology, right, and your philosophy is right. Mm -hmm. So that's going to get buried by corporations, right? Because you're never going to be able to shout loud enough. Oh, sure. Right? So it's it's that's that's also the battleground, right? It's like, okay, so your ideology, your methodology, you know, is is right. Your personality might not be right for people, but there are other people who have the same ideology, the same philosophy, whose personalities do work with other people, right? But even then, those guys, you start building a network together, those people are going to get drowned out by the giant pharmaceutical companies. Mm. And that's the problem. This is what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, How that's, do why you need, that's why you need community. That's why we need communities. We need to be able to find the ways we can call people in to be part of the community, to, to have their voice heard. And, you know, that's, I think community will be the piece that, that protects us against the corporate autocracy of it all.
Yeah, because you could be scrolling reels on freaking Instagram or Facebook or whatever, right? And just like, oh, there's there's a thousand advertisements for giant pharma pharmacy. And then, oh, there's Jason, a little blip, right? And his ideology. And then back to a thousand other ones. And, you know, so then when you talk about regulation, like I would be the regulator, regulator right? Like I'd be on the board for the government because I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. We got to go towards Jason and all the rest of the giant freaking pharmaceutical corporate industry would be like, F you, that guy's got to go standing in the way of progress. Like I'd be there, you know, I'd be there a rope line on the, on the <laughs> Mississippi going, no, one right. can't go farther than this and just get run over. But I think this is the thing that like, at least I feel like you're right. That will happen. And in a lot of ways, I believe, but at the same time, my, my hope at least is that the local community you know, they, they can't take away the, the people that just refer you, right? The network, the, the like, I work with this person and then, and then that person says, you need to go see Jason. And then that person comes to me. Like, that's more of what I trust at the end of the day to, to see this thing spread than freaking having a following on Instagram or trying to even, and this is just very much me. There are those that are doing this and I, I applaud them for it. But for me, I trust like that it's going to be the, the personal connection, referral, kind of slow growth that will, they can't ever take that away from me on some levels, right? Like that's, and that's how impact happens. That's how a legacy gets built, if you will, of making a change in this world is just one human being at a time, however you come to me. Yeah, but if you get too many human beings signing up for your methodology, then pretty soon the powers that be, the corporations will be looking for you know, that girl you stood up at the eighth grade dance. You oh, know totally. I mean? Yeah. And, and that unpaid parking ticket that you've had since like 2010. Right. Yep. That kind of the goal is to make sure it doesn't ever get that big. At least for me. <laughs> yeah. And in some ways, maybe the future's changing. Like if you look at the way, um, like legacy media, like here's, here's a, an industry, like one, like CNN or Fox has, you know, 10,000 people, but they get beat every day by Joe Rogan, who's two guys. In some ways, we're seeing the transition of these giant conglomerates being outpaced by a, a party of two or a party of five. So on some level, maybe the internet is beginning to change the way in which individuals interact with corporations or interact with medicine or interact with different sort of industries. You know, I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but you know, maybe but, we're getting to a point where where a, a, a guy like Paul or Jason or me can service. You know, all you need is 50. Like, if you get 50 people, that's even maybe that even be too much. But if you can work with 25 people, you know, you can begin to change the world in a way that is meaningful. I'm well, hopeful of that. The and I'm hopeful of the even just the way the podcasting reality, the shift of media is happening because we're able to share this stuff. We're yeah. this. And I trust that people that are looking for this, find it and they're yeah. going to find their answers. And that's why we have to keep doing this. This is why I'll show up. This is why it's in my calendar. This is why yeah. I'm dedicated to this practice of just podcasting and sharing experiences and stories because I do believe that it is the tool that will call people in um, because people like you look at the, the COVID narrative and how quickly it's shifting and how it was the shifts began to happen in the podcasting space and that mm -hmm. ideas were be able, being able to spread. And now mainstream media is supporting those ideas. 
and it's it's all about to it's all about to like get exposed and and really start to crumble but it's happening it's really interesting to see that podcasting is this thing that's going to make the legacy media ether ether shorts yeah but yeah george will be the first one to tell you that we're like 1200 viewers away from being monetized and then what happens <laughs> some of the public right. will be some of the public will be yeah but that's you know that's in in some ways you know censorship is the ultimate form of compliment because it just means that you know you're saying things that are actually having an effect and they don't want you saying it you know so you know what is what is it that gandhi says first they ignore you First they laugh at you, then they ignore you, then they fight you, and then you win. But I think we're still in the ignoring stage. But yeah, you know, maybe one day we'll get there. But uh, yeah, and I, and I think even even the smallest part you play plays a part in the bigger war. It's like the Pink Floyd song that says, "Did you trade a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in the cage?" Maybe maybe our part is a walk-on part in the war. But look, I'm proud to play it, right? I mean, you you can you influence one person or Sometimes just being on here talking to you guys gives me a week of ideas to investigate. It's pretty fulfilling, you know, even if it's just for me or even yeah. if, it, if it expands our next conversation. Like it's something that is like a virus. It can be infectious and infect me. Then Jason says something that affects Paul and Paul and says something that affects Ben. And next thing you know, it's it's a meme on the Internet. So it's it's out there. I think it's totally doable. It is. But well, as I got um a little bit of a late start, gentlemen, um, is there anything else you guys want to want to wrap up before we land the plane here? Uh, this is good. Um, yeah, this is a great conversation. Thank you, guys. What do you got coming up, Jason? What What do you got coming up here in the near future? And where can people find you? Yeah, coming. Um, still every week dropping podcasts over at Telling Secrets. You can find that on Spotify or Apple or really any of the places podcasts are out there. So continue to do that. I'm working with um, trying to get on a uh, Navy Commander SEAL that's that's local here that had an experience with psilocybin that completely transformed his life. Um, and so I'm really hoping to, to get him on. We're looking at trying to land a date right now. So that'll be a really fun interview to, to be coming out. Um, otherwise, yeah, you can check out my website, Experience Integration. I'm, I'm doing work with clients largely doing work with men. So if you find yourself in that camp and you want to talk, hit up my website and find 30 minutes. Nice. Epic. Paul, what do you got coming up, my friend? Where can people find you? Um, usually on the True Life podcast on, you know, whatever Friday nights and Sunday afternoons. That's right. Um, I mean, other than that, you really can't find me. Thing I love about you, Paul. <laughs> Your brand is a mystery, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. Are we? Yeah. Are we going to be seeing any uh, Stig meat on the market anytime soon? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a possibility. We'll, we'll nice. See. Yeah, I got some other projects I'm working on right now, but um, yeah, maybe one day. Nice, nice. Well, gentlemen, I uh, always a pleasure. I'm super stoked to get to talk to both of you, and I really enjoy the conversation and. I hope that uh, some people are out there are getting to enjoy it as well. But that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the True Life Psychedelic Roundtable. Check out Jason, check out Paul, and check out the True Life Podcast. And we'll see you next Sunday. Aloha.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.